Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. You're listening to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage with the stars and creators of the hottest shows on Broadway, off Broadway, and beyond. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking to director Michael Mayer and choreographer Spencer Liff, two of the creators of the Go-Go's musical, Head Over Heels. Mayer won a Tony for his work on the original production of Spring Awakening, and also staged the smash revival of Hedwig and the Angry Inch that starred Neil Patrick Harris. For Head Over Heels, he's reteaming with Liff, a longtime resident choreographer on So You Think You Can Dance, and also the choreographer of the recent Broadway revival of Falsettos, after the two of them worked together on Hedwig and the Angry Inch. They're both in the studio with me today to tell me why 1980s hits and 16th century pastoral romances are two great tastes that taste great together. Hi, Michael and Spencer. Thanks for being here. It's great to be here. Hello. Uh, so I saw Head Over Heels the other night, and I really loved it. And also, I've had every single Go-Go song in my head since then. Is that just your state of being right now? And has it been for the last several months? <laughs> it's been that way for the last two years. I imagine. <laughs> because it turns out that musical is very catchy, you might be surprised to learn, right? <laughs> <laughs> that it is. They're earworms. I go to sleep with them. I wake up with them. I, I wake up with a different one than I went to sleep with. Yeah, I was going to say, do they switch in your they head? Do they rotate? switch, yeah. It does. And I also, like, I listen to the Go-Go station on my Pandora. I'm one of the, I'm one of the Wait, holdouts like for you Pandora. Do? Because you yeah, haven't... because it's like, in that entire era of music, Pat Benatar and, you know, mm-hmm. even the Bangles and, I, you know, everybody that was of that era, that, that music has seeped into my soul now and I can't get enough of it. What, uh, you say seeped into your soul now. Were you a fan of the Go-Go's before this? Did you know their music? I, I knew all their music. I knew their yeah. big songs. Um, I was one of those people that, while reading the script, went, oh, I didn't know that was a Go-Go song as well, which oh. I think is the experience of a lot of our audience members who might know mm-hmm. like the big five. Right. But, um, which are what? In every, in every set. We they got are, the beat. Yep. Our lips are sealed. Our lips yep. are sealed. Vacation. Uh-huh. Head over heels. Yep. And cool jerk, cool jerk probably, and um, it's mad about you, mad about you. Right? Heaven is he- heaven earth. Is those are our like those are the biggies. adjacent. Right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> those right. are the Belinda. Right. Yeah. And then um, I would also say uh, people know get up and um, go. People get know. up and go. They oh, right, know, right, and they right, also sure. know. Um, they know. Um, oh, jeez, you know um, the one we don't actually sing to. It's just what, a this it's musical this time. Oh, yeah. right. right, right. Which it used musical. to be in the show. It used to be the old yeah. opening number. Yeah. Oh. It got oh. cut, and now it's our, our music throughout. That was, yeah. in, that was in San Francisco where that, no, was? that was? Before in, that. That was, before that. that was in Ashland. In, in the original so, production. Yeah, we, should, that we, we were not involved. And right. even when we went, to, uh, we went to New York Stage and Film up at Vassar that was two years right ago. Two work but on we're it. not... We, we've we've stopped right. since then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So we should say uh, for the listeners who don't know, this uh, project originated at the Ashland Shakespeare Oregon Shakespeare Festival in Ashland, right? Um, and that was in like 2015, I think. Yeah. And then uh, this new version with you guys on board uh, premiered last year, this year, this earlier year, this year yeah. uh, in San Francisco. Just and a minute right ago, now, in San Francisco. yeah, yeah. We opened in April, <laughs> right, in right, and is now on Broadway. Um, so and it's a wacky idea. It is the hits of the Go Go's mm-hmm. and a couple of Belinda Carlisle solo tunes, um, including "Heaven Is a Place on Earth" and, of all things, this 16th century pastoral romance by Sir Philip Sidney called "Arcadia." Um, 
No brainer, right? How do, right, totally. <laughs> Please tell me how these two things fit together. Um, originally, when the producers who acquired the rights to the Go Go's songs to right. do a Go Go's show, um, they thought, I believe, that it was going to be like a Jersey Boys type thing or Carol mm-hmm. King. You know, it was going to be the story of the Go Go's. And they went to the brilliant writer Jeff Witte, right. um, Tony winner for Avenue Q. Yep and um, has written many other wonderful things. And he had this inspired idea to do this mashup. He was very familiar with the Sydney work and had I is think, he the only person one can say that of? Like who I've no. I am very I very dimly <laughs> remember as an English major the fact that it maybe existed. But you That's know what it is though? It's it's the Arcadia, this this which is what Sydney is best known mm-hmm. for, was actually the source of some of Shakespeare's great plots. Right. He took some stuff for The Winter's Tale. Yep. From there, he took, um, I think, May, I don't know if it's, to- if it's As You Like It or mm. Twelfth Night, but there are elements that he famously borrowed right. from Arcadia, which was a very, very popular right. Right. work at the time. And people who know Shakespeare up. will even see that in Head Over Heels. They'll think, Absolutely. oh, that's like, you know, fill in the blank with the Shakespeare play. Right? That's exactly yeah. right. So, right. But, so I think a lot of, of um, English scholars mm. know of, of him. Right. Um, but not many people, it's true. Right. And, Michael, did you have a connection to the Go-Go's music? I forgot to ask you that. The Go-Go's, you know, the Go-Go's, the, that was the soundtrack of my life when I moved to New York in 1980. Right. And seeing them on MTV, which was a yeah. new thing then. Brand new at the time. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. I loved them. And they, they were, to me, what I loved about them was there was this punk pop thing going on. I right. liked their punkiness and their irreverence. What is it in the work of the Go-Go's that matches up with what is in the... The uh, romance, the Arcadia. It's in your face and unapologetic, and and fun, and I think that in I think what Jeff found in it, and certainly what we've been trying to exploit mm. in um, in the best possible way, is the idea of uh, a rhythmic center. To it, there, there's this pulse of life that is beating through it. Mm. So, taking that the journey of Arcadia, a, a kingdom running to try to running away from something that is inevitable, right. as inevitable as your heartbeat, yeah. as unstoppable as your breathing is. It's it's an involuntary thing that happens in your body, and there's something about the beat of the Go-Go songs and not just We Got the Beat but all of their songs we only have one ballad in the whole show there's this consistent irresistible beat that I think ties these things together and the plot apparently matches up I mean you've got the like the Signposts are all pretty much there, based on um, you know. I only read a summary of that uh, <laughs> romance. I'm not gonna lie to you, but it seemed like oh yeah, this all happened. In they, that, in that it poem. is crazy. I mean, this was the story that was told in 1585, yeah, and we can right. tell it, and it feels incredibly fresh today. Yeah, right. And so what? What then is because the show is super silly in like the best possible way, but mm-hmm. it also has a very clear kind of social and political message. Right. What is that message in your mind? And how closely does that match up with what's in Arcadia? I think there are a few messages. Yeah. Um, a large one is um, you have to change mm. or die. 
I mean, that's the big one. I think that there is, you have to be flexible. You have to be open to new ways of living, new ways of loving. It's about individual people accepting who their truest self is. It's about allowing yourself to give over to the purest love in spite of who you love and um, so I think that's really important I think there's a message about um, a kind of the danger of chauvinism and the, the potential for disaster if you don't allow other people to share at least at least share if not take over certain um, privileges that you have been born with you know and lived with your generation after generation right which all feels very contemporary yeah it does all our characters find their true happiness when they accept themselves and when they can accept other people for who they are that's my favorite message and I think the overlying that, that we get our happily ever after because we are willing to say, you do you, I'm going to do me. Right. Aren't we a beautiful universe? Yeah. And so, Spencer, this you've got two eras, basically, to draw <laughs> on here as you're coming up with movements for, for this world, right? You've got the 80s and you've got the 16th century. How, how did those two things inform what you ended up doing on stage with it? Well, I, I started out by not wanting to do either. I was very, mm-hmm. we had, Michael and I discussed very early on, and he said, you're allowed to do anything you want, but no core dancing. And, and so I said, great. I said, right. we won't, I won't touch on that. It seemed like an obvious choice, and we right. didn't want to see people doing a minuet to, to We Got the Beat. That seemed to me like... Did it was, we not? I don't we, know. We, well, I, <laughs> in my briefly. head, I thought, you know what, <laughs> I, I, I could see how that would go off the deep end right. and, and fall into like a corny place. Michael has incredible taste, and I trust him when he's like, this is not the direction we want to go. So we didn't do that. And then I also knew personally that 80s movement comes with this like comedy feel to it if you're doing like the running man and these things you know i was in the wedding singer the musical and it was all sort of 80s oh, yes, that's true dance moves but they were they were things. meant to be funny and comic and it takes you out of this timelessness that because we had these two eras we were creating this fantasy world so i thought i'm going to do my own thing the movement's going to be the most contemporary piece of the puzzle i want to choreograph it like it's a classic broadway show meaning we have these big production numbers and we sing and then we do a dance break and then we tell a little bit more story and then we have a big finish. But within that structure, the actual moves and steps had to be unlike anything you'd seen. And then through that, I organically, we started to pull from this sort of voguing world and and things that I'm like, well, that is actually 80s, although it's not the on-the-nose 80s that you would think. So that found its place. And then we added a, a sort of gay fantasia, you know, love moment in act two where the whole world turns homosexual or lesbian for you know for a moment (laughs) i call it the when you're in love the whole world is jewish moment (laughs) and it was in finding that number that i decided the only place in the show that i wanted there to be anything that represented a, a traditional court dance was when it was being done by the most untraditional style of couple so in turn to you we have we have finally discovered you know what it's like to see our world do uh, my version of of what you know a classic sort of minuet feel. So so those two things found their way in because they they had a place, but that's not where we started. 
does as discussed the gogos has quite a strong beat and it is very catchy that all their music is very catchy does and it is therefore easy to dance to is it easy therefore to choreograph to i mean there's so much there's so much energy in the music and there's my favorite instruments to choreograph to are guitar and drums and those are like massively heavy in our show um so I would just sit there and listen to these things. I want to jump out of my chair to to move to them. Um, I'm a very athletic dancer. When I was performing myself, it was high energy and you know just dancing sort of at the t- peak of what you can physically do. And that's where we've pushed to. But we also, you know, these dancers make their own rhythm, whether it be like our intricate table dance in the opening number, or they're constantly snapping and you know right. doing things that that you know these these people just drive this this rhythm physically and emotionally. Right, right. And how much do costumes play a part in kind of how you think about how it moves on stage and how it looks on stage? We should say that there are some extremely cool costumes yeah. by Arian Phillips, who designed Hedwig and you know styled Madonna and did all sorts of cool things. Who? Uh, yeah, exactly. An emerging <laughs> artist. Her name is Madonna. You'll know her name. Yeah, she's um, she's an extraordinary artist, yeah. and the clothes are really singular and yeah. beautiful. And she and Spencer worked really, really closely. And together. they're also sort of era, kind of timeless era mashup, kind of yeah. collagey, right? They yeah. are. I mean, she's it's a the, fashion designer, yeah. even more so than a costume designer. She's right. she has this incredibly cool eye, and knew how to create costumes for dancers because she's done all of Madonna's tours, right? Um, but I was lucky enough that she she wanted me to be part of creating the ensemble characters. So I sat down with her and I showed her pictures of who we had cast and I said, "This is who they are to me. She's the one that's like salt of the earth. She's the pretty Barbie girl. These two are the twins. These, two, you know." And and so she was able to take that and and make it a reality. Yeah. Right. Right. And she was really um, when. Uh, when Ari and I were in London working on the opera Marnie, yeah. we spent an enormous amount of time at the V&A Museum and at the Portrait Gallery mm. going through and looking at the, um, the Tudor silhouettes and pointing at things together and talking. So she was very... It was very rooted in um, the, the, the Sydney period as well. So it was... The, the clothes are kind of a mashup as well. Right, yeah. So we alluded to this a little bit earlier. You guys came on board this project as it sort of already existed and mm-hmm. gone through one uh, one version of itself. And yeah. and this is a thing that happens with you know all sorts of projects as they develop over sure. time. Like sometimes people go away and other people come on board. Mm-hmm. What what appealed to you about this project, and what did you feel like were the things that you really wanted to sort of underscore when you jumped on board? Well, um, when I, when I first read it, mm. I flipped for it. It was. I read it before um, before they did it in Oregon, and I did not see the Oregon Shakespeare um, Festival production. Um, I uh, I thought it was really exciting. I loved the concept of it. I thought it was it was very long. Yeah. I will say, and not. And I don't mean that in a critical way. It was just early on in its process, so it was a very very uh, dense. Read and there were and there were characters that we ended up cutting and we did some restructuring and stuff. So massive restructuring. I really did see great potential in it. Yeah, um, and I really wanted it to go in in a certain direction, and it wasn't what Jeff 
Witty wanted. So when we were up at New York stage and filmed two summers ago, and this is when I brought Tom Kitt on and Spencer, right, right, and we uh, and we start and we had our first cast and the Go Go's were there. So right. we all started working on it on our own and found we sort of stripped everything away down to the skeleton mm. that it was and felt like oh you know the bones here are so good and there's some really splendid writing um, and then we brought James Magruder on with whom I've had Great. wonderful collaborations and he's a classicist yeah. and a dramatist and dramaturg and so he came on to help flesh everything out and he did his best to match the tone and style of right. what Jeff Witte had done. So right now, it's both of their work is represented, and I think you'd be hard-pressed to, to distinguish between them. That can get touchy, I imagine, as you work on projects that, that you know, some people start with and then they don't necessarily finish with. It was, it was tricky, the, uh, the, uh, but because the producers, I think, and the Go-Go's felt very strongly that they wanted... A, to right. start over with a new team, yeah. um, the only, there's only one person who is um, who was in the Oregon production or, mm. or involved in it and is still is still in it, and that's Bonnie Milligan who plays Pamela. Oh, you know, I, my next question was actually about the casting and sort of this. You have kind of a killer cast, and it's full of yeah. people who you'll sort of recognize, like Rachel York, who's a Broadway name, or there's this woman named Bonnie Milligan who mm -hmm. I'd never seen before, who's right. A star. Delightful and stellar. <laughs> yeah. And uh, how? And there's sort of a big, diverse group of people that is as much a part of the message of the show as everything else. Like, right. what, uh, tell me about that. Tell me about sort of the casting process and how you imagined the people who populate this world that you were right. making up. Right. Well, when, um, when we first started, I actually I knew Bonnie, mm -hmm. un unrelated to this. And when I read the script, I thought, well, this is a great part for Bonnie. And I've wanted to find something for her because I, because I think she's so special and she's just waiting to arrive on Broadway um, and sure enough this she, is her Broadway debut this yes. is her yep. debut we have a lot of Broadway debuts I noticed that the uh, yeah. um, it's in part because my favorite thing to do as you know is to find people who the audience doesn't already have a relationship with right. so that when they meet them they're meeting them for the first time as Melchior Gabor, right, or Jonathan Groff, people yes, exactly. back in the day, yes, right, or Vendla, who's Leah Michelle. I was about to call her Leah Salonga, but right. that's someone different. You yes. know what I mean? Yeah, and um, and so here, you know, is Bonnie Milligan and Andrew Durand, Durand who plays mm -hmm. Musidorus the Shepherd, yes, and, and Peppermint. Peppermint. <laughs> John, John. Well, the, people right. know, know who, who Peppermint, Peppermint is, is but right. I love and. That you know, finding new people who um, can fulfill the role, but who aren't what we're we don't come expecting to see them. In it. Yeah, and the guy who plays Musidorus is one of those people that I think people who go see a lot of shows will be like, "Oh, that guy! What if I seen?" Him? And I had to look right. it up, and I was like, yeah. "Oh, right, he's that guy." But we mm -hmm. see him in a whole kind of different way now. Yeah, this, a, it feels like he was born to play this role. It does. It does. He's someone I, as soon as I read it, I'm like, Andrew, mm -hmm. that's a role for him. And right. Bonnie and Andrew, I think, are the only ones that did the New York stage and film, 
was there anyone else in Tom our mix? Allen Robbins. And Tom Allen Robbins, who is Demetrius, who is just, I can't imagine anyone right. else playing that role. Right. But we did a number of readings after that, and each reading we found like a new piece of the puzzle right. and kept one and kept, you know, kept searching through. We found Alexandra Sosha mm-hmm. in our, in our right. lab who right. was offered the role very last second, right? Yeah. Um, did you work with her in Spring Awakening or yeah, was that she, after the. No, no, she, she was in the original. Yeah, oh, she, she replaced, replaced okay. Leah. Okay, and she it. was actually she replaced Leah, but she was also in the ensemble. Okay, she was like in the chair of rock got and it. was an understudy from the beginning. And there's also a former contestant on RuPaul's Drag Race, Peppermint, on Peppermint. Uh, the show. When did you? When and how did you find Peppermint? Well, we were. Um, I'd say uh, one of the one of the great things that um, Magruder added was the notion that the Oracle of Delphi known as, in this version as Pythio, was a non-binary mm. character. And when we started thinking about how to cast it, it occurred to all of us that, you know, we live in a world now, thank God we live in a world now, where not only is it possible to cast um, non-binary, genderqueer, genderfluid, trans people in these roles, but it's actually the right thing to do. Um, and so we we started exploring that. We worked with another trans performer in a, um, in a reading lab. and in the lab, and then we had auditions, and Peppermint was the one that rose to the top very quickly for me. Right. And Michael, this isn't the first time you've worked on a show that uh, is grew out of kind of some very well-known contemporary music. Right. Did your work on American Idiot, which you uh, developed with Green Day, um, did that inform how you thought about what you did with Head Over Heels? It did to an extent, and this is why I also wanted to go to Tom Kitt right mm-hmm. away to work on the this music. Tom Kitt, the orchestrator. Yeah. Also composer, but orchestrator yeah, in this case. He's so, I mean, what he, he manages to take w- these well-known songs and allow them to be really true to what they are, but also give them a kind of theatricality. And he understands how to, you know, work the keys for different voice types. And, you know, with Green Day, it was always, it was Billy Joe singing everything. So when we did American Idiot, suddenly we had 19 people singing massive harmonies. We had women singing. We had men with different ranges than Billy Joe. So all of the, the key signatures had to all change. And also, you know, he would do theatrical things with them and he does the same thing here like before you hear vacation the music is actually um uh head over heels music Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so you think oh we're going into head over heels but then it's vacation right so he's he creates a kind of a of a unifying score right through his different motifs and um so that is something that he did in american idiot and you're you are you know responsible I, for american idiot it's true. would you like you to tell that, that story right now i'd like to hear that story this is true and i wanted to say it yeah. again because i love it um right after spring awakening i did an interview with gordon and one of the questions he asked me was like do i is there another like a contemporary composer or you know or group that i would be interested in making a show with because it was after working with Duncan Sheik right. and um, I said well I said there's one show that is ready to go because the album is a show um, and that's Green Day's American Idiot and he 
dutifully you know, I wrote, wrote it down, down and put it in my it story. Was, <laughs> it was in the story. And a couple of weeks later, whenever it came out, Tom Hulse, who's the producer of Spring Awakening, reads it. Um, calls me up and he said, "So what is this about American idiot? Do you think do you think we should pursue this?" I said, "Oh, knock yourself out, Tom. I'm sure Green Day wants to be on Broadway, and I'm sure that's going to work." And cut to two weeks later, I was sitting in an office with Green Day's manager and their agent, and they were into it. They sent Billy Joe to New York. He came to see Spring Awakening. We went to Bar Centrale after <laughs> we talked till you know till they kicked us out of there about everything from punk and Broadway and family and the story of how American Idiot came to be and he let me go for it so it's all thanks to Gordon. Wow, I mean, I, I do what I can. Story. I do what I can it's for great. the American theater. <laughs> uh, well, I I loved and admired that show as a as an audience member and knew that that kind of taste making. You know, ability was what would make this type of show work so well. Something that on paper most people would say, "No, that's crazy. You can't do that." You know, that that is what made us leap in head first. Right. Yeah. And so, Spencer, you've done a lot of work on "So You Think You Can Dance," which yes. has definitely kind of popularized dance and an understanding of dance in a way that really didn't exist. How do you see the influence of that show in the dancers that you work with now many of whom because dancers are all you know very usually quite young they've probably grown up with the show in a way that you know others of us who are a little older maybe didn't um do you see that show's influence um in yeah the dancers that come that is a Broadway now? really really great question and the answer is absolutely yes so so you think you can dance has been on since 2006 i believe right. six or seven i am starting my 10th season on the show this year so i've been around since season six so there are many many dancers yes who at five or six years old that show came on for them and they haven't known a world without it it has indeed educated people sitting at home who have never been in a dance class they've heard the judges comments on both our shows and Dancing with the Stars and they've now know the difference between a Batma and a Tourjete and who's doing it correctly and so that the, I think the level of dance all around has had to be elevated because you can't get away with what you could maybe you know 20 years ago but the actual dancers yes they've been watching uh, the tastemakers of dance weekly in their living rooms and that has trickled down into the dance studios across the country um, that has trickled into the convention scene and the dance competition scene but has made number one dancers want to be versatile because before like you might want to be just a hip-hop dancer or a tap dancer or a ballroom dancer but they now see, oh, to be a great dancer, I need to be able to do everything. That is what is coming in the room now, is I'm seeing all sorts of people who can absolutely achieve every single style, because what is Broadway now? You have Hamilton, and you know you have my show, which is not only incredibly technical, but you know you also have to act and sing and all those all those other other things. Um, uh, but I. Um, it's beyond the tricks because now these dancers are doing all these, you know, insane tricks, but they've finally understood storytelling in a mainstream way and and that they have to act while they dance. And that's the most exciting thing about these young younger dancers is there is a fantastic performance quality. Right, right. And so Head Over Heels is now running at the Hudson Theater. Let's talk about what's on your plate coming up next. I know, Michael, you've got a couple operas you're working on. Is that I right? do, yeah. yeah. A new opera, um, Marnie, yep. that's based on the same source material as the Hitchcock movie right. by Nico Muley and Nick Wright, right. starring Isabel Leonard, who's going to be sensational. I think that's at the Met. Yep. We open in, I want to say October. Okay. 
and then I go right into a brand new production of La Traviata, mm. also at the Met. How a lot of Broadway directors uh, kind of end up also working on opera. What? How do those two things fit together for you in terms well, of? You know, it's it's still storytelling with you know performers and sets and lights and music, and music is the lead thing. I think the, that's I would say that's the one big difference between opera and musical theater is like the buck always stops with the director right. or the director choreographer when you're doing a musical, and with the opera the conductor, the maestro really is the final word. So I'm there. My service is to bring as much vitality and theatricality and dramatic interest and visual interest to what the music is. But we can't change the music. Right. Like, I remember when I started on Rigoletto, and I was like, oh, God, that transition is so long. Can we cut eight bars? <laughs> and they looked at me like I was insane. <laughs> so it's like music wins, right. you know. Right. Um, but it's a, very, it's a very interesting collaborative process to be the person who is not making the final decisions. Yeah. And then Spencer, what's what's next for you? Are you going to go beyond the next season of I Six do, Feet the Dance? Day after we open, I okay. head back to LA. Um, we will have just started live episodes, so Great. I will I will be back to So You Think You Can Dance for, like I said, my tenth year, which I cannot believe that's yep. happened that quickly. Uh, and then I go to Germany to do. Um, uh, I I work for this incredible um, nonprofit Broadway training program called Broadway Dreams Foundation, and we have recently expanded uh, internationally. So I've done. Uh, directed two shows now in Russia. Um, we've gone to, to Germany, to Stockholm, to Brazil. Uh, so we're going to, to work with the professionals of Germany, and I'll work with them for two weeks and put on a, a concert there. A concert? Um, so you're directing concerts, or yeah, you're directing existing shows? We, uh, it's not existing shows. We do usually like some small snippets, like 20, 30 minute sections. The first year we went to Russia, I did cabaret, which was very interesting. Oh, wow. Cut out a lot of the things that maybe you shouldn't <laughs> can't do in Russia now. Mm. Um, and we did a small version of Hairspray, and we did a small version of Chess. Uh, so we'll we'll go do that in Germany, and then I'm coming home and I'm directing and choreographing uh, "Singing in the Rain." It'll be one of my first times at La Mirada in LA. Great! So starting to branch into that world as well. And what's next on Broadway for the two of you? Do you know yet? Next for me should be um, a revival of "Burn This" by Lambert yep. Wilson, Good. starring Adam Driver. Right at a theater to be announced sometime this spring. Great. Good. And I'm TBD. Excellent. All right. I, li- I technically well, live in L.A., and I do the TV thing a lot. And right. when a Broadway show makes me want to come here, I do. Yeah. We'll, we'll work on it. Yeah. <laughs> we look forward to seeing what it is. Um, <laughs> thanks, guys. Thanks for chatting with me. Nice to talk to you. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you. Thanks, Gordon. That was director Michael Mayer and choreographer Spencer Liff. Two of the creators behind the new show featuring the music of the Go-Go's, Head Over Heels, now playing at the Hudson Theater on Broadway. If you like what you've heard on this and other episodes of Stagecraft, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe wherever finer podcasts are dispensed. On the next episode of Stagecraft in two weeks, I talk to composer Joe Iconis, the grassroots musical theater favorite who's getting a big New York moment with a new off-Broadway production of his musical, Be More Chill. Until then, see you at the theater. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. 